All right, everybody. So here we are for the second interview of the new Universal Man interview series. And I'm incredibly happy to have with me uh, Gary Wilson from YourBrainOnPorn.com. Gary is the author of Your Brain on Porn, Internet Pornography and uh, the Emerging Science of Addiction, and the host of the popular website that I just mentioned. His book has already been translated into three languages with several more on the way. And his TEDx talk, The Great Porn Experiment, has been viewed some 12 million times is also the author and co-author of two peer-reviewed articles about pornography. So, thanks for being here, Gary. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing very well. So, uh, I have to let everybody, everybody know that you were one of the most pivotal people in kind of my awakening around the the pornography issue i remember it was way back in what was it like probably 2013 late 2012 when uh i found i stumbled across your videos and i found the whole nofap uh community and just started understanding that there was an explanation uh, to all of the crap I was dealing with, why I couldn't quit porn, why my life felt like I just couldn't get it together and whatnot. And so I just want to start off by thanking you very much for the work that you've done, because you've put a lot of work into this, haven't you? Yes, I and my wife have put a lot of work into this. It was quite unsuspecting, considering <laughs> I had no opinion on porn. Uh, I'm very liberal, libertarian, and agnostic atheist, so we had no opinion. But you, you know the story, but others may not, is that men started showing up on my wife's forum in 2006, and the forum had nothing to do with porn. It was about relationships. And I guess they were attracted to the forum because it had articles about orgasm and maybe it had certain key words. Anyhow, they started posting and saying, I think that porn is affecting my sexual performance, can you help me? And she's like, what the heck are you guys doing here? And I guess Google put together their responses and more and more of them showed up until it turned into a locker room over the next few years. <laughs> she eventually in 2010 said, Garrett, could you make a website? So I put up a website, you know, with some science, a few videos, uh, their stories. And it was a pretty small website and I thought I'd be done, but then it just exploded and I became sort of this central focus of a lot of the porn recovery, especially for young men. And it's really sort of uh, taken over our lives quite a bit. And it was quite unexpected and in reality, quite unwanted. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah. You don't always get what you want in life. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of relate to that a little bit. Like, uh, I never wanted to be, you know, the porn guy uh, on YouTube. But, you know, it just so happened that as I went through this process and I realized, holy crap, this is a big issue. And I think I can help people with it. I was like, all right, I'll put my face on it. I'll talk about it. And then you kind of get sucked up into it. And then you realize, man, people are really suffering from this. And it's like you start to realize this is this is meaningful and good work. Have you? Is that kind of like what happened with you? You started to see the impacts you're having in people's lives. And you're like, all right, I can I can keep this up. Yeah, it really was about the impacts. When you get emails saying, I was suicidal, I was going to kill myself, because I thought I was ruined for life. I went to medical doctors, urologists, psychiatrists, and I still couldn't even get excited by my girlfriend or a real woman, and there were no answers. That's what really compelled us to put up uh, the website is really people suffering. Right. And then we found, as time went on, that it was not only sexual problems, but a lot of emotional problems dissipated after giving up porn. Uh, cognitive improvements occurred. They saw their partners differently and on and on, many, many benefits. So it was just information that wasn't out there because the studies weren't being done. Right, right. Exactly. It's just a kind of a like that's you know what I struggled with. I didn't know that stuff growing up. And had I, you know, had that kind of education, you know, similar to how we had drug education growing up, uh, it would have been useful to have porn education because it's a you know, it is kind of a drug in a lot of ways, the way it interacts with your system and the negative effects. And we just didn't know. We were just told, don't do it because it's bad. You know, I went to Catholic school and everything like that. Um, and yeah, I would say the, the I you know from the more religious perspective, I would say there is a moral component to it, but you know a lot of times it's the practical, just science of things that is probably most compelling. So, yeah, and and when you grew up, now how old are you? Twenty eight, twenty nine. 
I'm 29. Yep, yep. So, you know, when you grew up, you didn't have streaming right. tube sites when you right. were 12. You didn't have a smartphone. I was like that weird 12. straddle age where it's like we moved into the internet age. So it was like we didn't like pa my parents didn't know about it. They didn't know what to expect. Like we didn't develop the the sociological kind of safeguards or anything close to it at that point. Right. And, and I think your age group, that sort of 27 through 33 that straddles all this technological change is probably the best equipped to describe reality to the younger people <laughs> who grew up, who are now growing up in 2019 with their smartphones and watching porn, you know, in math class. So right. uh, you can just tell them, you know, there's a different reality than just watching porn all the time and masturbating to hardcore porn. Exactly, exactly. And and there is. And even though, you know, I, I started fairly young with that stuff, at least with images or magazines or whatever I could get my hands on, honestly, um, it was enough to see the like I, I saw the progression. You know, I know what I started on was not hardcore, high speed streaming stuff, but that's definitely what I progressed to. And then that's when everything just started like everything just kind of sucked um, in my life in a lot of ways. And Maybe you could give us kind of the the spark notes version of you know why porn is bad for you. I don't want you don't feel like you got to put the the full uh, presentation on because people you know if you if you're interested in getting all the details go to yourbrainonporn.com. Uh, there's a lot there, but for the people who are new to this concept, why is porn this damaging thing? Well, yeah, if they want the full story, I have a, a video I put out in 2015. Even though lots of studies neurological studies on porn users have come out since then. So that would really do the whole uh, whole shebang. So I think what we have to step back and look at is that internet porn is a unique stimulus in that, you know, people often say, well, you know, it's like alcohol, if you use some of it, it's okay. But unlike alcohol or gambling or even playing video games, your brain has innate circuits for sexuality and reproduction. These innate circuits can and will be shaped by input. They will especially be shaped and molded by the input during adolescence from ages 10 to actually 25 when adolescence ends. So that adolescent brain is undergoing tremendous changes. It is actually has billions and billions of connections that will be dissolved and gotten rid of and your brain will be shaped by the input during adolescence your your most profound memories and experiences and the songs you love and the sports you like occur during adolescence that's when you're shaped so if you are sitting there for from ages 12 to 15 16 17 masturbating every day maybe several times a day to watching other people have so-called sex doing it day in and day out, that is shaping your sexual template. It's shaping your sexual template really in two ways. The first way is, oh, this is how I should do it. I should just bang this woman. I should ejaculate on her face. You know, I should slap her boobs, whatever. That's just what she's enjoying, obviously. Right. Or the other way is I need this type of stimulation in order to be aroused. So what is that? I need to watch other people have sex. I need to switch from video to video. I need constant novelty because novelty increases sexual arousal. I may need something that causes me anxiety or shocks right. the system or surprises me because that increases dopamine. Dopamine increases sexual arousal. So what's different about internet porn since 2006 is you can control your sexual arousal, control your reward system activity with the click of a mouse. You right. couldn't do that prior to 2006. So in other words, it's shaping your sexual template as you use it. Okay, yeah, and that's where you get start getting all these kind of um, unusual sorts of problems that guys run into. These are the, the, the very frantic emails that I get, and I'm sure you get, where guys are like, 
well, obviously you got the sexual dysfunction ones. Like, oh, my, my penis won't work. You know, I can't get attracted to my partner, whatever. But then it starts getting into uh, much more, I would say, disturbing territory where people say they have these uncontrollable, like very off-the-wall fetishes or, you know, they have, uh, you know, uh, obsessive thoughts about their orientation. They're not sure if they're gay or if they're straight and they just keep going back and forth between the kind of porn that they watch. They don't know if they're, you know actually just you know hentai sexual or whatever and it's <laughs> yes, like people get get very confused because of what you're talking about here this um this template man, i don't know manipulation influence that porn can have right well yeah you know you think back if you look out into the propaganda you'll see the opponents maybe phd people with who are pro porn say well Porn can't shape your sexuality. If you go to my site, you'll see that I have 40 studies listed that support escalation of use or habituation to current porn. In fact, one study from about three years ago asked porn users about this, and 50% of them said they are currently using porn that previously they found disgusting or uninteresting. then there's the whole claim that, well, what you are watching is who you are. Well, that was disproven by another study where 25% of straight men were watching gay porn and 55% of gay men were watching straight porn. So if they're doing that, that's not their sexual orientation. So what they're watching doesn't match their sexual orientation. So that's been debunked. So what you hear out there in the interwebs is just baloney. Uh, yeah. It is shaping sexuality. You know, Norman Doidge back in 2007 with his book, The Brain That Changes Itself, had a whole chapter about sexual taste being shaped because his book was about neuroplasticity, how the brain changes in response to stimulus. And he, he is seeing patients whose sexual tastes have morphed and they can no longer get excited by real partners. So this is well documented. Right, right. And so when you're talking about sexual taste morphing, that's probably not just the end of the line in terms of how porn can affect you. How can it also affect your enjoyment of other areas of life? Yeah, well, this is one of those things where you really don't know and the studies really have a hard time finding out unless the individual quits porn. That said, I have these lists of studies on my site, and one of the lists is studies uh, linking porn use to poor emotional or cognitive functioning, Mm -hmm. and there's 65 of them. Some of those studies had the people remove the variable, about three of them. But the point is, what they found is, for example, is prefrontal cortex functioning. Uh, It affects the prefrontal cortex, which is behind your judgment about, uh, it's behind planning for the future. It's about delaying gratification for future rewards. Remember Mm -hmm. the old marshmallow experiment? Right. And so, so what they found is porn use really affects multiple aspects of your cognitive function, but also can affect you emotionally. Uh, We see that uh, men who give up porn, maybe depression goes away, social anxiety decreases, they become more confident, uh, they want to get out and socialize. So there's many aspects that can be improved if you give up porn, but as you know, you have to give it up for a while. Right, right. And it takes a little while and sometimes things can feel like they get worse uh, before they get better. And I think that, in a lot of ways, actually speaks to this kind of addiction sort of model uh, where, you know, there's going to be withdrawal symptoms. There's going to be periods where you're actually not going to be doing as well. Now, I remember there was uh, there was a little bit of information about that when I first got into studying this sort of stuff, talking about like Delta Fos B and the buildup in the brain. Is there more out there now explaining why we go through withdrawal when, uh, you know, guys quit porn and they have all these weird stuff happen to them, like flatline and brain fog and, you know, irritability and that kind of thing? Yeah, well, what was interesting is there are a few studies that have reported withdrawal. And then about a month ago, a study from Poland asked a bunch of uh basically college students about porn use, 
and they found uh, nearly half that tri nearly half tried to quit, and almost all of them experienced withdrawal symptoms. Hmm. So that was like a huge eye-opening study where they finally asked the right question. Then the question is, why would you experience withdrawal? So we think of withdrawal as, well, withdrawal symptoms only occur for drug addictions, right? Mm -hmm. so let's say you take uh, morphine and then you get off morphine and you experience withdrawal symptoms and you're told you experience withdrawal symptoms. This is in the general public because the more morphine you take, it actually downregulates the receptors for morphine. You have your own endogenous opioids that you make and you get rid of the receptors in your body and you might have, oh, depression and shakes and aches and pains. Well, as research has gone on, they discovered that all addictions, including behavioral addictions, when you stop, can lead to withdrawal symptoms. And what's really behind it is the change in the brain's stress system. So mm. deep in the limbic brain uh, are regions like the amygdala, the hypothalamus, hippocampus, et cetera, that control the entire stress system. And the stress system, we think of, oh, cortisol and hormones out in the body, but it's really a lot of neurochemicals occurring in the brain and then the hormones change out in the body. Mm. So in studies, they find when a person quits drugs, certain neurochemicals, ones called CRF, go up in the brain, and this is what's behind feeling like crap, mm. anxiety, inability to sleep. And this chemical called CRF that increases when you quit also decreases dopamine and may decrease opioids, and those are behind motivation and pleasure. So it has a double-edged sword, and at the same time, CRF, when it increases, makes you far more sensitive to cues. So if you mm. open up the computer and normally you use porn, you really start to have strong cravings. So a lot of the new literature is really pointing to addiction as being primary and a, an alteration of the stress systems, hmm. which is fascinating, isn't it? Well, that makes a lot of sense uh, to me from someone who's worked, you know, made a living in the practical end of helping people quit this is that, you know, I, I've realized that the only way that people can really quit, especially if they're having a lot of trouble, is that they need to completely revamp the way that they respond to stress cues. And this is like a holistic thing. It's like everything from, all right, this is what you would do. Uh, this is what we got to do now. You know, it's like you would go to porn when you're stressed. Well, now we got to go do this other stuff. But the problem is like porn's kind of this one size fits all sort of solution. You can use it to solve, solve, you know, in quotes, any problem. But the solutions, usually you need a whole suite of them because you usually have multiple different kinds of problems that you have to contend with. And so then you got to get into the whole mindset thing and everything like that. But like, yeah, it ultimately comes down to for most people, just because it's such a catch-all instant feel-good button they kind of just funnel all their problems and stresses into this one kind of solution and then when that solution is not working and their life just is getting progressively work worse they kind of reach this breaking point and that's usually when they probably you know either come to me or to you and start trying to get a handle on this thing yeah i mean many of your earlier vid videos i put up on ybop we featured you because you had such great advice and your basic thing is, guys, you got to change your life. You right. got to change your mindset. You've got to, you got to do new activities. You probably have to exercise. You may have to meditate. You may have to look at what's causing you problems, because you've just spent the last ten years dealing with your problems by masturbating to porn, playing video games, and then eating junk food. So you might have to change a few things. Right, right. And it's an uphill thing that can take a while. But, you know, ultimately what you get back or in some cases get for the first time, that's kind of how it was for me is like for the first time, like around, honestly, it was like 25, 26. And I think part of that has to do with my brain finally sort of maturing is like I felt 
in control of myself. I could live a fully productive day, which was something I could only do anytime prior to that under some kind of external duress, some kind of external deadline or someone managing me or something like that. I could never actually just be productive on my own. And I, uh, part of that's probably just immaturity, but I, I think a big chunk of it was just because my brain was all jacked up from you know all the video games and porn and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. I just want to point out that there's been about 43, 44 neurological studies on porn users and sex addicts, and all of them support the addiction model. Mm. And in that group, there's actually three studies that looked at the stress systems of sex addicts, sex and porn addicts. They sort of lump them together sometimes in these studies. And they, again, matched the drug addiction model. They had brain changes in their stress systems uh, that matched those occurring in drug addicts. So this is not unsupported. This is fully supported. So here's something that I haven't heard talked about. Um, and maybe you can tell me if there's any uh, any evidence to support this. One of the big things that I found in doing this kind of work is, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about dopamine and that sort of thing. But the thing that really started interesting me was the serotonin component of things. Um, I talked to um, this uh, one woman, woman, Dr. Loretta Bruning, who talks a lot about uh, the serotonin system and and our perception of status and status hierarchies, and. W- I'm curious if the studies mention serotonin at all, because the way that I see it is a lot of times, like stress is a calculation that we feel when we feel like either our status is at risk or we've actually lost some status that like we, you know, got yelled at at work or, you know, a girl rejected us um, or worried about meeting this deadline or whatever it is. And then what porn offers is it offers this artificial status. You get to step into this kind of fantasy world where you get to be this high status alpha dude having sex with as many women as he wants. And that to me seems more of like a, you know, a status sort of issue. And what I've found when I work with guys and have them pursuing, you know, more authentic forms of status that they can align with and that sort of thing, that makes a major difference. So I'm curious if you if you've seen any science that could support that kind of perspective. Well, I can't say much about serotonin. The addiction, most of the addiction studies, whether they look at behavioral addictions or they look at uh, drug addictions, don't get too much into serotonin. I mean, as far as sex goes, serotonin's released, but there's 15 types of serotonin receptors and each of them have a different effect Mm. at the point of orgasm to inhibit uh, sexual arousal. As far as status, there there are studies looking at status and dopamine, specifically looking at uh, chimpanzees, groups of chimpanzees. And what they discovered is when they put together groups of chimpanzees, so they measured their dopamine and their dopamine receptors, and they found that before they put them in cages together, or not cages, but groups together, then the alpha, the leader of the pack, eventually emerged, and that leader of the pack that emerged had an increase in dopamine receptors in its brain. So what does that mean? That means it's much more sensitive to dopamine. And what is dopamine behind? Well, dopamine, dopamine is behind motivation, the motivation right. to take action. So they're not sure exactly what's going on, but what they also found is then when they take them out of the cage and no one's no you know no one's an alpha anymore the dopamine receptors return to normal so there's a change in the dopamine system and the dopamine system is basically the reward system the motivation system everything you do you do because of dopamine dopamine increases you go for it dopamine decreases you back away from it this is just basic biology And so they have looked a lot more at the dopamine system in terms of these type of behaviors, as far as I know. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Let me know if the if the studies ever start turning towards serotonin at all, because I'd be interested to see what they say about that. Um, One question I wanted to have for you before I kind of change tracks with you circling back to something you were saying earlier about when you're giving the introduction talking about how you know porn is in particular kind of damaging during the formative uh, times of life like if you're going through adolescence and that sort of thing but what about for older guys the can they use porn 
in a completely safe manner. I mean, you know, especially if they've, you know, had maybe decades of life without porn before coming across it, can it still affect them adversely? Absolutely. Uh, the reason I emphasize the adolescent brain is because it can have a much more powerful and lasting effect. And we saw this, and we actually started to see this around my TED talk and afterwards, where the young men, and you know this very well, would often need a year, maybe even two years, to recover from porn-induced erectile dysfunction, even though they're at their peak of physical condition. They're 25 with high testosterone. Whereas the, the men in their 50s would often only need four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, and they'd be back to normal. However, we started getting reports in the last few years where older men are starting to need a lot longer yeah. uh, into the months. So absolutely, uh, this is a very powerful stimulus. You know, your brain is meant to engage in sex and reproduce. That's its primary directive, right? right? So it is being shaped. And sexual arousal and orgasm are the highest natural levels of dopamine and opioids. And both dopamine and opioids are messages, and they're messages to learn. And you're then learning, this is very important, and I should do it over again. And you're also learning at a neurological level with nerve connections and changes in the structure of your limbic system, that this is what turns me on. So you've seen older men who are now turned on by stuff they can't believe they're turned on, and they're now having a hard time getting aroused by their wife or a partner. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that clear because, uh, you know, it's, it's bad for pretty much uh, everyone across the board. And, you know, I've seen, I've actually worked with a number of guys, 60 plus years old, even a few 70 plus years old who really struggle with this thing. Yes. And even, even women now, uh, I've, I've, yeah. I, I haven't gotten, since my project's focused on men, I don't get as many of these, but I do get them sometimes. But I know you definitely have collected some reports of, of women who struggle with porn too. Is that right? Yes. We collected reports off of NoFap, but that was several years ago. But okay. the recent studies are starting to show a tremendous rise in young women using porn regularly. It used to be very, very tiny percentage of women who use porn regularly. In fact, a nationally representative sample from the early 2000s to mid 2000s was only about 2% of hmm. women. Uh, but now we're starting to see in the age groups 18 to 30, you know, going into the 20%, 30%, perhaps, in one recent study. Wow. So it's starting to climb for women quite yeah. a bit. And I want to mention something, you know, going back to affecting men. Here's a fact that everyone should know. Every single study, over 60, maybe 65 studies, every single study on porn use in males have found that more porn use is correlated to less sexual and relationship satisfaction. Every study, without exception, on males. So that's pretty significant, because you think there'd be yeah. at least one study that'd be asking college freshmen, oh, do you use more porn? Yeah, well, no big problem. But every study I can find. So that's pretty significant. Yeah, that is a big deal, because uh, that's not the narrative that is often put out about pornography and this is kind of <laughs> what i wanted to get into is like what's been the reception of your work because it's you know you're kind of ironically uh in this day and age you're very countercultural in the stuff that you talk about what do you think about that what do people say well there's a lot of different people out there who say a lot of different things so yes i and several other people who are so bold to suggest that porn use may lead to problems uh have been significantly attacked uh, sometimes in very vicious ways. It happens all the time. In fact, you were actually on Twitter <laughs> tweeting underneath someone who went on your thread who's attacking yeah. me, calling me a white nationalist and a racist. Uh, it's just crazy yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, our, our friend uh, who goes by Nerdy Kinky Kami, he was the yeah. one who was uh, criticizing you and calling you a, a white nationalist and uh, that sort of thing. So, like, what's what's going on with all of that? I mean, back when, when I last checked in with you, you had a few people on Psychology Today 
who would criticize your stuff and you know it was pretty much like you know just not them addressing the argument and saying you know stuff that that just kind of avoiding your points and just like dancing around it and making up their own kind of perception on reality and i was like all right people are going to do that they've got you know confirmation bias and whatnot but it's completely kind of seems to have shifted like it's gotten much more vicious than just you know some blog posts that disagree with you what's what what's going on well they still avoid any context even the PhDs out there who tweet about me or say disparaging things, they never once link to my site. They never one take on. They never take on a single word I say. They never take uh, the studies I cite. So they may say porn use is good for relationships, and they'll cite a qualitative study. Qualitative means they just asked a bunch of heavy porn users if they thought porn was good for their relationships, and they say yes. And then I would cite all the quantitative ones, the ones that actually have data and correlate porn use with relationship satisfaction. And here's 75 studies. And they'll say, oh, there's Gary Wilson again, spamming us with studies. Don't look at his fake YBOP site. And it's just a list of studies with expert excerpts, you know? So it's, yeah. this is the way it's been for years, but it has gradually, not gradually, it has uh, really, you know, increased uh, in virulence. Yeah. Uh, lots of defamation, lots of personal attacks, lots of behind the scenes emails uh, to organizations. In fact, the latest one that occurred is that a large group of these people, uh, pro-porn PhDs, have tried to steal my URL, have tried to trademark uh, my site, yourbrainonporn.com. So we're in the middle of a legal fight against uh, a group of people trying to steal my URL. They, they put up their own site, which they call realyourbrainonporn.com. And if you click on the tabs, the tabs don't say real your brain on porn, they say your brain on porn. They created a Twitter account, a Facebook account, a YouTube account, called Reel Your Brain on Porn, and they often tweet underneath me, attacking me personally. They put up cherry-picked studies. They disparage people they disagree with, this Reel Your Brain on Porn uh, Twitter handle. Uh, they're just amazing. And what was interesting is when they first went online, the very first... Uh, Twitter account to retweet them was Pornhub. So get that. How would Pornhub know about an account that wasn't online yet? The only way I know of is they were informed by the uh, owners of Real Your Brain on Porn Twitter account. Yeah. And so yeah. over half of the retweets were uh, people in the porn industry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like when you see something like that, if their first like retreat was Pornhub, it's like, yeah, maybe the the owners of the the real your brain on porn <laughs> message them, or they're the same people. Like that's the way I'm seeing it is like the porn industry is recognizing that all right, they're they're going within the next. I would say five to ten years, the porn industry is going to be a similar position that the tobacco industry was in in like the 1950s and 60s and whatnot, where they're going to be kind of on the back foot and the science is blatantly against them. And so what they have is pretty much propaganda and advertising. Um, and right now, it sounds like what they're trying to do is pretty much scare you off and it's uh it's kind of disturbing because i i see on one hand a huge financial interest because obviously the porn industry is a massive industry but on the other hand i just see like a uh you know the, the grassroots part of the movement is just like people don't want to be told that maybe what they're doing is bad for them it's like they have this whole cognitive resistance to it like there was a one somewhere on Twitter, I was like, I, I just you know put some uh, 
studies up or link to your site or something like that. And someone, they're like, excuse me, sorry, I'm looking for facts, not just opinions. I'm like, I literally just linked you to a page full of scientific facts. And you said that you want, like, like, I don't understand, like, what, what kind of filters people are putting on themselves, but there's, so I, I basically, I'm saying that I feel a lot of sympathy towards you because there's a lot of people out there who are just being either willfully stupid or just outright malicious. And it's kind of crazy. Well, it is kind of crazy. It's been going on now for seven years. Whoop. Can't hear you. I can hear you. Still going on my end. Okay. There you go. So something pumped went off. Yeah. So it's been going on for seven years and it's expanded for me. You know, they've gone after Alexander Rhodes of NoFap. They've gone after Don Hilton, medical doctor. They go after Fight the New Drug. They go after Exodus Cry. They've gone after, my goodness, they've gone after journals. They've gone after lots of therapists. Uh, These people often report therapists, sex addiction therapists, to their state boards with malicious complaints. And, of course, the state boards just say, this is baloney. But one of these individuals who's featured on my pages has reported 20, 25, 30 people to their state boards for no reason other than they may have published a paper about porn's negative effects or they've done a blog post or they've tweeted about it. It is just insane, the maliciousness that's going on. And it's really supported by a large group of individuals. And most of those individuals are part of the realyourbrainonporn.com website. In fact, that site has a list of its experts up there. And many of, the, many of them are listed. So you can see who's behind trying to steal the trademark. You can see some of them are behind actually personally attacking defaming, harassing, cyber-stalking individuals such as me and the others I've mentioned. So they really put themselves out in the open now and say, this is us. Here's our name. We're going to do this. Try to stop us. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy that they're so brazen about it. What are some of the biggest lies that they put forth uh, that, you know, are just kind of the most preposterous and, you know, damaging, do you think? Well, let's see, the most, uh, gosh, one of them, Nicole Prouse, has said that I have physically stalked her in L.A. (laughs) Of course, I haven't been in L.A. for years, so it's a complete lie. She also said that she filed an FBI report on me, for what I don't know. Well, I went and did a Freedom of Information request on the FBI, and I found out that there's been no report by Nicole Prouse on a Gary Wilson or any report. She also said that she filed an FBI report on Alexander Rhodes and OFAP, just tweeted that. He, too, did a Freedom of Information Act with the FBI and found there was no report whatsoever. Uh, There's so many, it would take us about 10 hours to name all the many things that have been said about us. Uh, I mean... uh, I don't it's know just, where you want to yeah. go. No, yeah, that's that's the, the kind of idea I was thinking. Of. What about in terms of like the science stuff? What is like the the big kind of misinformation points they put out? Well, they just simply lie about the science. So okay. that so example real really YBOP I got real YBOP Twitter account they they only post a few cherry pick studies outliers that don't uh, represent the preponderance of evidence. So let's go back to that example. Every single quantitative study on males has found that more porn use is related to less sexual satisfaction. So it's 65, 70 studies perhaps. They never tweet those. What they tweet all the time is a study by Taylor Kohut, who's also a member of Real Your Brain on Porn experts. And that one asked, couples if they thought porn was good for them. And a lot of them said it was. But here's the interesting thing about the couples they asked. The women in the couples, 95% of the women regularly use porn on their own. 
95%. That's much, much higher than college-age men. If you look at nationally representative samples, and the only ones we have are from the mid-2000, 2.6% of women in relationships use porn at least once a month. And when I talk about maybe several times a week, it probably goes down to 1%. So where did they get the couples where 95% of the women regularly use porn? I don't know, but they're hardly representative. Right. So that's how studies are done. How do you get the headlines uh, you want? How do you get the results you want? You look at the methodology and you go, wow, I'm going to pick a bunch of group. Maybe I'll go to a kink website and ask all the people at the kink website who represent 1% of the population. Maybe they're into BDSM or polyamory. Nothing wrong with that, but maybe that's your cohort. And you ask them and you have a group where almost all the women regularly use porn on their own. And now you have a completely skewed results. And that's the study they may have tweeted already 10 times since they started their Twitter account back in April. So that's what you see all the time is you see cherry picked outlier studies tweeted, then they're represented as, oh, this is what represents the preponderance of the evidence. And then you never get the truth. And then like what happened to you, you actually tweet them a list of studies. Oh, I don't want to look at those <laughs> because they're over on YBOP. So right. they're not real. Right. So no, they never ever ever take on the actual studies. They never address the actual evidence. They never take on the content of the arguments. Instead, yeah. because they can't, they have, uh, you know, engaged in defamation, personal attacks, and behind the scenes reporting of people to state boards in order to scare them and silence them, preventing them from speaking. But they are not going to stop me they are not shutting me down and they will never silence me. Their attacks only make me want to go at it harder. So yeah. guys, if you're listening to this right now and you think you're gonna stop me or you think you're gonna take my website, it ain't happening, buddy. It ain't happening. <laughs> well, I'm very glad to hear that because you know that's a that's a big pain in the butt that they're they're putting you through. And uh, I know Yeah, and it's costly. Uh, you know, we have to sure. have lawyers, but we're gonna pay the lawyers. And if necessary, we'll pay the lawyers for defamation suits. We are not going to be intimidated by this group. Yeah. And I, it's weird. It's like there's it's so frustrating because it, it seems like it, it ties back in a lot of ways to academia. Uh, like that, because one of the things I'm constantly running into is guys coming to me having, you know, young therapists who are encouraging porn use and it's like that what's what they were taught and it seems to be like there's this overarching philosophy in academia particularly in the psychology departments around porn like unlimited porn use of any amount and any quantity is good for you and i don't know where they got the idea i mean well i kind of got have an idea around it but like it's just not working and the issue, though, then is that there's a lot of then studies, like you said, that are done like this, that are kind of done to back up the the you know the conclusions already made, and then they engage in the study to support the conclusion, and it's not providing people with any sort of honest take on reality. And then when they won't even debate you, I mean, I imagine these people they won't debate you, right? Well, that's an interesting thing. So. Uh, it was about maybe three or four years ago, I did a podcast like this, and I forget the guy's name, but underneath the Twitter, uh, on his Twitter account, he posted the podcast. David Lay, you know David Lay probably, right. the author of The Myth of Sex Addiction, uh, he came over and said, well, if you real want real science, why don't you interview me? So this young man said, okay, David Lay, how about you come on with Gary Wilson for a moderated debate for an hour? And so he emailed both of us and I said, hell yes, I'll do it. And David Lay said, no way, I'm not doing it. Same thing happened to a close ally, a very well-known uh, PhD, Jeffrey Miller. Many of his followers asked him to debate me because he often retweets David Lay's and Nicole Krause's tweets and claims porn's not a problem. He's also made fun of NoFap and people who quit porn regularly. Well, anyhow, 
he came over and just started defaming me and calling me names and saying, I'm not going to, you know, debate him because he's, you know, a loser. He attacks women. He stalks women. He's, a, you know, on and on, all these horrible things. And, of course, that's how they deal with things. They attack uh, their opponents personally so that they then don't have to actually engage in debate or address the content. It's an old propagandist tactic that they use very well. Right. So, no, they will not debate me. They are scared. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll debate any of them anytime. Anytime. Yeah. And if any of them are, if any of you guys who are pro porn uh, and you think you've got a strong case for being healthy and good, well, you know, you're always welcome on here. And, you know, maybe I could set you up here, Gary. We could do that moderated debate. I think that'd be wonderful. And to be clear, like, you're not out there condemning people for using porn you're not you're not trying to get like porn banned as far as i know you're just talking about the reality of the consequences is that right yeah that's right so my background is i'm a libertarian liberal far left of bernie sanders might make you cringe uh and so that's my view everyone do whatever you want i don't care i'm just trying to educate that there can be negative effects and uh, and that's about it. I certainly don't want to ban it. I think maybe what the UK is going to do is probably a good idea where you have age verification so that those under 18 can't have free access to porn tube sites. But no, certainly don't want to ban it. Uh, so no, you're right. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's the big thing is like, I, I feel like people are automatically coming into the conversation, at least the ones that I have and they're, you know, hostile toward my stance is they feel like I'm, I'm out there to get them. And it's like, no, you can, you can go ahead and do this as much as you want. I think it's a terrible idea, but I, you know, go ahead. It's, you know, knock yourself out. And I don't understand why that gets them so upset. Uh, that's the thing I'm, I'm struggling with. And I guess I was having a conversation uh, last night about this, and I, and I think people really get upset about two things: diet and sex. If you see these these arguments, cholesterol is bad for you. Cholesterol is good for you. Eat a bunch of eggs. No, you got to go vegan. Or they see things very black and white. So when we have discussions about sexuality, often it brings up childhood issues. So maybe sure. someone was a sexual minority. Someone was gay or bisexual, and they had some harms done to them because of that, you know, psychically or physically. Or people, and we see this a lot, grew up very, very religious, and they felt like they're shamed, and then they become not religious, they became very liberal, and then they have a backlash against that upbringing, and then they project those experiences onto you or me or Alexander Rose or anyone who says, hey— porn was bad for me or porn might have negative effects. So they bring all that junk with them rather than looking directly at what we're saying and the evidence behind it. Right. And that's I remember hearing that from someone who was, you know, referring to you as like anti-gay because, you know, I guess (laughs) like there are, you know, gay guys, they felt uncomfortable in their orientation. They found solace in porn and they feel like you saying that porn could maybe be bad for them is you being like anti-gay, which is. You know, that's not that's not how logic really works. But well, you know, and I, I hate to say this and I'll say it anyhow. My best friend's gay. Uh, I I roommate for five years back in the 80s was a gay man. My roommate. I went to nursing school. Let me just let's just put some things to rest. I went to nursing school way back when I was one of the first people to be in hospice care of AIDS patients in San Francisco, taking them to their death. Gay man after gay man after gay man, I took them to their death. So it is abhorrent to me to suggest that I'm anti-gay. And then you talk about the white nationalist crap. Yeah. Where did that come from? It came from Nicole Prowse and David Lay, who've been trying to foster this for a long time. They've written an article together, a Psychology Day post, claiming that people who quit porn are fascists, claiming that I'm suggesting that I'm a white nationalist because David Duke one time in 2013 did an article about porn and he linked to my TED talk. So they 
tweet that. They've been tweeting that right. regularly that Gary Wilson's a fascist because David Duke did an article and yeah. linked to my, you know, this is what they use. It's crazy. Right. You know, I grew up in a black neighborhood. I played basketball all day with black people. Some of my relatives are actually married to black people. It's just insane what right. these people saying. It's just the opposite of truth. But that's what they do. We've documented it. This is how these people roll. Yeah, and the the one the guy who was uh, uh, attacking <laughs> yesterday, who was like, "Oh well, you know, he interviewed you know this person, the Proud Boys, or Stefan Molyneux," and it's like, just because you talk to someone doesn't mean you agree with everything they say. But also, those organizations are not white nationalist organizations, and you know, maybe they're conservative in some ways or another, but like they are not fascist and they're not white nationalist for sure and I, I just don't know where this stuff is coming from it's just insane well it is it, it came from nicole prowls and david lay who started to tweet that back in 2016 then they went after nofap uh they would often tweet that nofap is full of fascists uh they're white nationalists they uh, often suggested alexander rhodes was a fascist so they would just tweet this over and over again, and then they would uh, cause their followers to retweet it. So really, they are actually to the point of endangering us. You know, that's a little bit scary when I have these crazy uh, people coming after me constantly, and as does Alexander Rhodes and others with these insane accusations. So, you know, this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to incite their followers to viciously attack us. Yeah, and that's it, like you know maybe five years ago I would have been like okay I mean you don't probably don't have too much to worry about but I mean there is it seems to be a connection between you know it's it's a very kind of you're getting attacked by you know people primarily it seems on the left and it's like now you have people like Antifa groups like that who will literally you know hurt people there that's what they they've been doing and you know you've got people like the nerdy kinky kami. Uh, coming out and defaming you and doing all this kind of crazy stuff it's like yeah that's it's starting to get a little worrisome uh and uh, i don't know just just be smart about it and yeah i hope that legal action works out well for you and all the other people involved luckily i've missed a decent amount of it probably just because i'm not as big as you guys and uh it's, uh, it's just stay safe <laughs> plainly because yeah, it, it is a bit worrying and i i uh you know, I worry about the others involved, and some of them are scared, and some of them have quit talking out because of this harassment, defamation, and personal attacks. You know, when you, when someone has reported you uh, to your state board three times trying to get your license taken away, you become concerned. In fact, that same person reported me to the Oregon Psychology Board, even though I'm not a psychologist, and the Oregon Psychology Board sent me a letter and said, you know, you were reported it, you were reported to the board, of course, we ignored it, but we just want to let you know. Oh, thanks. So this is just really quite something that's going on. And I have a couple of pages, extensive pages, that document much of this behavior on my website so they're there i'm not hiding i believe that sunshine is a good thing and so i have those pages so they're not so you can find them on my website that's great yeah uh, uh, make sure you guys go check out your brain on porn and uh stay away from the fake your brain on porn uh you know and if you see them around on Twitter or whatever, go ahead and call them out for the garbage that, no, don't call them garbage, but just tell them that they're wrong, you know, because the, the thing that we're engaged here in a lot of ways is a battle of voices. And ultimately, I think if you stick to good principles of focusing on the truth, honest conversation, like you said, you love sunshine. That's fantastic. I think that's, that's the way that you win. It's when you do this behind the back stuff. Yeah, you might get ahead. Uh, a little bit, you know, for a little while, you might scare some people off, but eventually the truth is going to win out. So just, you know, share this kind of stuff with the people you know, the people you care about. Tell them the truth about porn and how it uh, can affect them. And, uh, you know, recommend Gary's site because it's honestly, it's pretty insane uh, how comprehensively you've, you've documented uh, the issues with porn. Uh, really, it's, you've done a fantastic job with it. 
Yeah, uh, you know, I have a, a one site. It's it's right there on the front page. You can click to it. It's, it's called research page. And so on that research page, I've collected studies into certain lists. So you can click on those lists and it's the list. And of course, it links right to the study and it also has excerpts. So you can see multiple lists and then you can see below even more lists. So I literally have probably about three to four thousand studies in separate pages wow. on my website organized into various lists that are easily accessible so yeah the research is there but the truth is ybop didn't start out about the research it wanted to report on what occurs when individuals give up porn and so they they kept seeing all these benefits they kept seeing uh even psychological issues remit like adh like symptoms depression anxiety social anxiety they saw their sexual function improve their erectile dysfunction go away so that's where we started uh, but we have also moved to listing research and analyzing questionable studies yeah yeah and that's it's it's great because uh i always just go and refer to you guys whenever uh, i want some honest analysis honestly i wish you had uh an opponent with some integrity because i always try and you know look at both sides of something but i can't find anyone that's convinced me that they're looking at uh the data objectively uh that is pro porn uh, that's pretty much the the issue that I'm running into. So it's like, all right, well, Gary's the only one who's willing to talk to me. He's the only one who's willing to back up his his uh, uh, conclusions with studies and things like that. So it's like, clearly, you're just, I, I think, in the right. So <laughs> I think you're doing well, pretty what good. Fa- what's fascinating is when this real your brain on porn dot com site went up, it listed uh, 25 experts with their pictures and their bios, and if you look closely about seven, eight, probably about 10 of them do research. And it's those 10 individuals on that site trying to steal my trademark who are the ones who are primarily putting out the studies that supposedly debunk porn as as causing relationship problems or saying that porn addiction is really a religious problem. It's not actually addiction. So it's just really that handful of individuals are the same ones putting out the outlier studies who now are on a website trying to basically shut me down, to take me off the internet. So it's so much out in the open now. Yeah, that's crazy. Curious, are any of those those experts, are any of them like neurobiologists or are they all uh, psychologists? Uh, Nicole Prowse says she's a neuroscientist, so that's one. Uh, so that's, that's pretty much it in terms of the neuroscientist. And she's the only one listed on the real YBOP page that has done a neurological study on porn users. Uh, what's interesting about her two neurological studies, they were EEG studies. So those are brain waves, and they're quite up to interpretation. But she did two brain wave studies. Now, I have critiqued those studies, but here's the other thing: 17 peer review, there, there's peer-reviewed papers, and there's 17 peer-reviewed critiques of her two EEG studies. And all 17 of those critiques say that her findings support the addiction model. What she really found in her uh, subjects was that they had greater Q reactivity to porn images, but they had less desire to have sex with a partner. So Mm -hmm. they thought, wow, that Q reactivity is a sign of addiction and less desire to have sex with a partner is really a big problem. So she's and kind of an opponent. Matches. Yeah, so she's kind of an opponent to her own research in some ways. It well, sounds like. there's been lots of critiques that really disagree with her conclusions. All right, so 
based upon all this stuff we've been talking about, you know, all the crazy back and forth you've been getting, are, are there any kind of final uh, thoughts you want to share around this, you know, almost call it like a culture war around porn? Well, you know, it's just escalated to the point where recently uh, there's been a defamation lawsuit. In fact, there's a couple of articles out uh, about it. Uh, Don Hilton, a medical doctor and neurosurgeon, is suing Nicole Prouse for defamation. And that case is down in Texas. So that's gotten quite a bit of press. And so it's really gotten to the point where now lawyers are involved. Like with my case, lawyers are involved to protect my trademark. And so that's continuing. Uh, the legal actions are continuing. And this defamation lawsuit between uh, from Dr. Hilton to Dr. Prowse uh, will probably get more press as time goes on. So maybe a lot of the activities by the pro-porn groups will be exposed as this defamation lawsuit continues and maybe goes to trial. We'll just have to see about that. Yeah, that honestly, I, I feel like there's so much stuff going on with this. It'd be a great documentary. So I don't know if you feel like having someone with a camera follow you around all the time, but this would be, this is, uh, <laughs> it's just crazy stuff because, you know, it's just so disconnected from reality and uh, it's it's sad to see. But, you know, the the big thing here is, I think, the guys who are struggling with the issue, uh, the guys who are really trying to, to get out of this thing, live better lives. And do you have any kind of final words of advice, you know, maybe resources or strategies or anything you want to uh, leave people with who are you know looking to get out of this thing? You know, people are sometimes desperate and they may try to contact me or tweet at me. And I, I don't generally respond to to those requests because Everything I have is on my site and it's pretty well organized. We redid the site to make it easier to access the material. So we have landing pages and on those pages is all the information we have. And we also have resource pages and you're one of the people on there as are others. So they can go to NoFap, they can go Mark Quippet, they can look up Noah Church if they need coaching. They can see therapists if they believe they need therapists. They can do all the above. So all the information's out there. I think when men first realize, it's mostly men, but now it's women, realize they have a problem, they're looking for some type of magical solution. And, and you could talk better, you know, talk more to this than I could, a lot better. And there is no magical solution, is there? No, no, that, that's kind of the thing. It's like they're applying porn thinking to <laughs> solving porn. It's like porn is the quick press the button, problem goes away kind of thing. And we kind of live in a culture where it's like you take a pill, you press a button, and some kind of instantaneous fix is going to arrive at your door, especially if you're willing to pay enough. But like, no matter how much you pay, there is no quick fix to this. You're going to have to go through the process of figuring yourself out, finding better ways to manage your thoughts and emotions and, you know, figure out what you want to do with your sexuality in your life other than porn uh, if you really want to quit it. And it's hard work, but it's worth it. And I've, you know, been saying that for years now, it's been tremendously worth it for me. My brain is still improving. My sexuality is still, I feel like becoming more and more alive and connected to reality, um, which is crazy considering, you know, I haven't, you know, masturbated the porn for almost seven years now. And I, I literally am still getting benefits from it. Um, and uh, I guess for you, you know, you've, been collecting accounts of guys doing this for a long time. Can you just assure everyone out there that this is, at least from what you've seen, worth it, a worthwhile sacrifice? Well, it is. And I think we need to step back at the big picture. Uh, my generation didn't have that sacrifice. Sacrifice. So if you ask a guy who's in the 60s like me, well, giving up porn, isn't that quite a bit of a sacrifice? And it's like, when I was a teenager, we didn't use porn. We didn't need porn. If the right. wind blowed, we were ready. We were beyond ready. We had to walk around, you know, in the halls with books in front of us so we wouldn't show how ready we were. You know, so to me, giving up porn has so many benefits and it has no downside. You know, it's it just has no downside. Yes, you're probably going to feel bad 
you might have empty place. Maybe you'll go through a flat line and go, oh my God, now my libido's really dropped. I'm scared, I might not be normal again. Yeah, you're gonna go through a lot of roller coaster events, but there's really no upside to porn. You know, they often say, well, porn is educational. Really? You wanna get your sex education from porn? Oh, I might learn new things. Really? You're gonna learn from porn? Well, if you wanna learn about sex, maybe watch a video that's about sexual techniques. Maybe read a book about sexual techniques. Here's the concept, maybe talk to your partner. Whoa, no, you can't believe it. Ask them what they like and do it. So there's all sorts of ways that humans before internet actually figured out sex and had a good time. So there really is no downside. Yeah, I would agree with that uh, 100%. So thank you so much for coming on, Gary. It was really uh, great to have you and, and catch up a little bit with you and hear about uh, you know the, the science and all the kind of crazy stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, and yeah, is there any kind of final thought you want to share where other than you know check out yourbrainonporn.com? Go ahead and let it go. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't really have any final thoughts. You know, Do check out yourbrainonporn.com, and it's organized now where you can go to all these different pages and what the guys who are quitting who usually watch, you know, they want to read stories and we have collected 5,000 mm. complete rebooting stories and they're organized into three pages. And then we have the FAQs. So people often ask the same question as you, as you know. And so we have almost all those regular questions answered. And in those answers, we have comments by men who have recovered or who are recovering so that you can read their comments about what to do and not to do. So the information's there, it's easy to access, and you could spend a lifetime reading all of the advice from the people who've been there. And some people really get a lot of benefit from that. Yeah, and I'm glad you highlighted those rebooting accounts that you've collected because you know there's been a number of times where I've had clients where they just couldn't believe that they could do it. But then I'm like, all right, go go click this link, go here and start reading the accounts, and you start realizing there's hundreds, thousands, there are so many guys who have done this. You can do it. You're not alone. You're not alone, and you can do it. And so I think you know you've done a, a fantastic job in helping people recognize that. So thank you again, Gary, for for coming, and uh, we'll have for to do this. Yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime here soon. So, yeah. all right, everybody. Thank you. Most guys struggle to quit porn because they aren't building the right habits to replace porn. If you want to learn the simple habit replacement system I've used to help thousands of men quit porn and develop self-mastery, then click the link in the description below and download my free Reboot Regimen Guide.